You are listening to the sermon podcast of Nielsville Presbyterian Church, a Christ-centered church in Germantown, Maryland. To learn more about Nielsville, visit us online at nielsville.org. Colossians 1, 15 and 16. He is the image, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or all things were created through him and for him. Good. You guys did much better than the first service. I guess they were just still waking up. Let's try it again. Ready? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Excellent. Good job. We are in our journey in Colossians, where Paul is, has a heart for this church, has a passion for the, for the church to remain in Christ, to to define their hope in Christ, even as our great hymn reminded us this morning. And we have key terms that we we see that are important for Paul to communicate to this church. Faith, love, hope, joy. The idea of being in Christ, the the reality of what being in Christ means. We've we've seen this beautiful prayer that Paul prays that they would would um, grow in the knowledge of the Lord of God's will in all wisdom and discernment, that they would walk pleasing to the Lord, bearing fruit, increasing in knowledge, and strengthened with resurrection power, giving thanks. Now, last week we saw the supremacy of Christ and, and who he is. This morning we're going to look at the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ because of what he has done. So turn, turn with me in Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read the last part of verse 20 and then into 20, to, up to 23. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he now has reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel, that you've heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and on which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, again, we gather around your words. So, Holy Spirit, do your work of growing us and nurturing us, of changing us and molding us more and more into the image of Christ. Help us to, to just reflect on, on you, Jesus, this morning, and what that means in our aspect of how we live out this gospel in a day in and a day out. Do that work of grace among us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When our kids were young, we saw a lot of the animated movies. My wife corrected me. I said cartoons in the early portion, but the movies I'm talking about are animated. One such film is Finding Nemo. Most people are familiar with Finding Nemo. Are you right? Right? Yeah. It's about a, a clownfish who lives in the Great Barrier Reef, right? He loses his son Nemo because his Nemo wants to explore the, the oceans, right? And, 
And, and his father said, no, no, you need to, you need to not go over that. It's too dangerous out there. Well, he does, and he gets caught by a boat. He's snatched up, and he, he comes into a little, uh, what do you call that? Aquarium, yeah. Um, Nemo goes into an aquarium in Sydney in a dentist's office. Nemo then meets Dory. Dory, this blue fish who has a short-term memory loss. So I want to show a clip of this scene with Norlin and Dory when, when they first meet. Um, here we go. Uh-huh, and it passed by not too long ago. A white one? Hi, I'm Dory. Where? Which way? Oh, 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 it, it went, um, this way. Yeah, it went this way. Follow me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. No problem. joke it's not funny and i know funny i'm a clownfish no it's not i know it's not i'm i'm so sorry see i, I suffer from short-term memory loss short-term memory loss i don't believe this no it's true i forget things almost instantly it runs in my family well i mean at least i think it does um hmm where are they uh-huh. i love dory she's so honest do you guys struggle with short-term memory loss? Just in the last two weeks, I forgot to bring the Christmas boxes. The week before, I forgot to bring my wallet and phone as I was traveling here. I forget things. I'm sure you guys forget things. We forget insignificant things, sometimes significant things. Right, kids? You're asked to take out the trash, and somehow you forget to do that. Short-term memory loss. Paul is dealing with a church that was forgetting the gospel. They had short-term memory loss, right? There are people trying to threaten them that there's something more that they have to experience. And so Paul again reminds them, no, you, have a, you need to focus on Christ, on who he is and what he has done. I think that's true of many of us, right? We live our life, we're faced with many, many different challenging relationships or circumstances or situations. And often we forget the gospel in the midst of those times. I, you know, I think, why do I not act any differently than most people? I claim to be a Christian. Why do I not act any differently? Because I believe I forget the gospel. I forget what Paul is trying to remind us here in this passage. We've forgotten the work of Jesus Christ, the reconciling work of Jesus Christ. And so Paul reminds us here in this passage that those who confess Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior, who are no longer alienated from the Father. In fact, 
Paul powerfully reminds us that, that God has reconciled us through Christ, we must live out that gospel. And so how do we live out that gospel? Three important words I want us to discover this morning. We live out the gospel at first by remembering, then by remaining, and then relating. So let's first look at verses 20 through 22, and here we see the importance of remembering the gospel. Again, 20, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who, who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So in order to remember the gospel, we must remember three important truths about our relationship with God. Who we were, what did God do, and why he did it. Who we were, what God did, and why he did it. Looking at verse 21, we see that we were alienated from him, that we were enemies in our minds towards him, and that we did evil deeds. So let's look at what this means, that we were once alienated from God. We were in strange fellowship with God. We were separated because of our sin nature, because of our sins. Paul actually speaks of this pre-Christian state, uh, this alienation that we have with God as something as abnormal and unnatural. This was not our original condition. This alienation, this separation, this estrangement happened at the fall when Adam and Eve sinned. See, sin is an intruder, but often for us it's a welcome intruder. And so due to this alienation, we who were without Christ were condemned and could not in ourselves do anything about it. So that's where we once were. If you're in Christ, you're no longer estranged, right? We'll talk about that a little bit later. You're no longer separated, but you once were. But not only were you once alienated from God, you were enemies, you were hostiles, right? It says our minds were hostile towards God's. See, our minds were affected due to the separation that we experienced from our Father. We are antagonistic towards the truth in the gospel. We were actively, not apathetically, resisting the truth of the gospel. This was our pre-Christian state. We were hostile to God and hostile to his will. We were his enemies. That was everyone's lot before we came to be a Christian. This is who we once were. We were alienated. We were enemies. We were hostiles towards God. But not only our minds were affected, Paul reminds us, our actions were evil as well. Now, if Jesus is to be taken seriously and to be believed, right, he said he came for sinners, not the righteous, then we need to understand that we're, quote, not good at heart. Evil deeds are a result of an evil heart. Thoughts and actions were both tainted, each pushing the other into further corruption. Wrong thinking led to vice, vice to further mental corruption, so that the mind, still not totally ignorant of God's standard, found itself applauding evil. We hated God, and our actions showed forth that inward hate in our hearts. Again, Paul's reminded us there is no human way out for us. And Jeff, you're saying, Jeff, why are you sharing this bad news? Because if we don't understand the bad news, we will not understand the good news. If we don't understand where we have come from, we will not ever appreciate this great work that God has done for us in Christ. 
are good enough that we think, I, I know I was a pretty good kid, and that often, that often was an, uh, a barrier for me to understand the, the, the corruption of my soul. Because I went to church, I did all the right things, right? I hung out with all the right people. I didn't smoke, drink, and do all the other stuff. So that was a barrier for me to really understand that, no, this gospel says that I am alienated from him. My heart is evil before him, that I needed some, I, I could not save myself. I was never good enough. How can anyone be good enough to a holy, righteous, gracious God? So the question for us to experience, even in this one, in this one idea of remembering the gospel, do you understand where you came from? Do you understand how bad you were off? Because as, as you do, then you will be amazed and you'll marvel and you'll be awed at the gracious God and the good news that he provides for us. And so what is the good news? What did God do for us? Look at verse 20 and 22. It says, he makes peace by the blood of his cross that now he has reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Paul is reminding us both of Jesus' incarnation. This is what we're going to be celebrating, right, in the Advent season as we look towards Christ's birth, but also his atonement. We are reminded both of Bethlehem and Calvary, right? Our God, who's eternal, infinite, is a righteous, holy, sinless, perfect God. And because of that, he hates sin. Yet he loves sinners like you and me by providing a way out of our predicament. We, are, we stand guilty before God. Our guilt has to be satisfied. We are polluted. We need to be cleaned up. And so God, the Father, saw that, and so he sent his one and only son, Jesus the Messiah, to be born from a virgin, to dwell among his people, to live a sinless, perfect life. And then he died on the cross, a bloody death for your sins and for my sins. See, the Father provided his son, the Jesus Messiah, to reconcile us to himself, to make peace with us. We can now have fellowship with the triune God due to this reconciling work of Jesus Christ. You are no longer separated from him if you're in Christ. You did nothing, I did nothing to earn his love or deserve his love. We do not add one iota to this reconciliation. In fact, reconciliation has this idea, to, is to change and to make in us the reality of a condition of submission to God and harmony with God. To change completely, to change as to remove all enmity. There's no hostility now between God and man if you're in Christ because of Jesus. See, we no longer stand before God as an enemy, but through the cross we become a friend of God. We become a servant, a minister with God. And we have peace with God, meaning that we are now accepted and in a right relationship with him. Like two nations who are at war now are at peace through a contract, through Jesus' reconciling work. We are now at peace with God because of the work that God has done for us in Christ. And this work of Jesus reconciling in us has the widest possible scale. It has cosmic significance. Listen to what one commentator says, reminds us. He says this is that disorder that has characterized creation will be done away with and divine harmony restored. Here, perhaps, the main idea that all things eventually are to be decisively subdued in God's will and made to serve his purposes. That's 
power of this reconciling work in Christ that one day we'll experience when he comes again and establishes the new heavens and the new earth. But he's about this, his death on the cross is about restoring all things to his original glory. But see, not only we must remind ourselves of where we were, where we came from, and what God did for us in Christ, but we need to remind ourselves on why he did it. This is the purpose of reconciliation. Look at verse 22. He reconciled us to present us holy before God in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Holy and blameless here happens due to this reconciling work, right? Now, because of God's reconciling work through Christ, God sees us holy without defect. In fact, blameless or without blemish refers to a technical sacrificial term that was used of animals that were without flaw and therefore worthy of being offered to God. It's an act outside of ourselves that makes us holy. We did not contribute to that act. All of Christ. It is Christ who makes us holy, who declares us holy. We are now an acceptable offering and have the impossibility of any accusations against us, for we are covered by Jesus Christ, by his blood and in his righteousness. Your sin no longer accuses you. You are absorbed from every charge against you because of what Jesus has done for you at the cross. We have been justified. We have been declared righteous. We are perfectly accepted in Christ. We have received Christ's righteousness through faith in him. This is our present reality. We were once alienated, but now we are not. We were made acceptable, declared righteous. We are holy in his sight. And the Father delights in us because of the reconciling work of Jesus Christ. Do we believe it? As we face uncertainty, as we face relationships that sometimes may be difficult, do we believe this amazing gospel, where we came from, what God did through Christ, and who we are now standing before the Father? Completely forgiven, completely accepted, not based on anything that we have done, solely based on what Christ has done. That is total, radical, gracious, good news that needs to sink into our hearts. There's a clip from The Lion King that reminds me of one who has forgotten who he is. Simba was a young prince who was cast out by the pride by his evil uncle Scar. In fact, Scar made Simba believe that he killed his father. In fact, it was Scar who did. But then he meets his two friends, and he lives a careless, no-worry lifestyle. But that begins to haunt him because Nala comes and confronts him because the pride has been really gone to the, it's gone awful. And so Nala goes and tries to find Simba to bring him back to act like the king. And so they meet, but Simba doesn't want to have anything to do with it. He, he doesn't want to be, he doesn't want to go back. He can't go back. He feels guilty. He feels shame. And so as he, after this encounter with Nala, he then meets up with a baboon called Rafiki. Did I say that right? Rafiki? Rafiki, Sorry. Rafiki, okay, there we go. So we have a scene with this interaction, part of towards, towards the end of this interaction with Rafiki. Rafiki and... See, kids, isn't this great? And this is why you, you want to come. Father? Correction, I know your father. I hate to tell you this, but he died a long time ago. 
Nope. Wrong again. <laughs> He's alive. And I'll show him to you. You follow old Rafiki. He knows the way. Come on. That's not my father. It's just my reflection. No. Look hard. You see, he lives in you. Then it goes on, remember who you are. You are my son, the one true king. Remember who you are. And Simba said, don't leave. No, please. Mufusa says, remember. Simba says, father, remember. And Simba says, don't leave me. Remember. Friends, I want you to remember. Look hard into Jesus. Remember who he is and what he has done for you. And as you do, that will impact then how you live. Simba, as he remembered that, went back to his pride and became the king that he was called to become. As we remember the gospel, as we, as we believe the gospel and the work that Christ has done for us, we will remember and it will impact how we then live among those that God has put before us. Remember the gospel. Find sufficiency in the gospel. Know that Christ in this gospel is supreme over all Thing. Do not look to other things. Remember that Christ lives in you. John Newton's final recorded words. Thank you, Michelle, for giving me these, this quote. It says, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. See, as we remember this good news of the gospel, Paul then says, then you will not live as a lazy, careless, pride person like Simba did for the past. No, the person who's reconciled through Christ remains in the gospel. Look at verse 23. This is a proof of a reconciliation. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, 
and not shifting from the hope of the gospel. Throughout the New Testament, God stresses the importance for believers to remain, to continue in Christ, to persevere. And according to commentators, the verb to continue in this passage has the sense of remaining in a place, in a locality. We see that, that, that faith is a place where we remain rather than just the activity of believing. It includes that activity of believing, but it goes beyond it to indicate the content of what we believe. We remain in Christ when our faith is remaining in Christ through believing who he is and what he has done. We cannot, in our own power and strength, do this, but we continue and remain only by the enabling grace of God. Paul here is at once insistent and confident that as they continue, and they must continue, that he's certain that they will continue. I love how one commentator encourages. He says, the term remain connotes remaining, abiding, drawing one's strength from the source, which is God's gracious work in Christ through the Spirit. The condition is thus not based upon human effort, but instead upon God's gracious provision. But God's provision must be tapped into in order to persevere. See, we see in this passage that Paul reminds them to remain in the gospel. For the Colossian Christians were tempted by these bad teachers to hold, to loosen their hold on Christ's supremacy and sufficiency. The believers, if they do that, were in danger of slipping away from the truth of the gospel, which they've heard and have had their, they have put their hope. And so for Paul, he reminds him to remain in the gospel, be stable and steadfast, he says, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. The term stable means as a house founded on the rock that has a sure foundation. Remember the hymn that we sang, Jesus Christ is our solid rock, right? This, the consequence of, of being well-founded is that the building wall, the building will stand secure and steadfast amidst the the rains and storms and hurricanes and earthquakes. So Paul was reminding us here, as we remain in our faith, in the context of what we believe about Christ and who he is and what he has done, we are well-founded, unable to stand secure and steadfast amidst the storms of bad teaching and personal trials. To remain and continue in faith additionally means that we will not shift from the hope of the gospel. Paul reminds us that we should not let go of the hope of our salvation, the hope of this reconciling work of Jesus Christ. We must not shift nor be moved away from the hope that we, that we rest, this rest of having eternal life because of the reconciling work of Christ. In fact, we must continue to hope, as Paul did, for his hope is secure and firm, summed up in Christ as seen later on in this chapter, in verse 27, when he says, To them... God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Remain in Christ. How does that work as you struggle with difficult relationships and circumstances? Let me just share briefly, just in our struggle of infertility, there's one thing that kept me stable and secure and did not shift my hope, and that was fixing my eyes on who Jesus is and what he has done. 
I wrestled with God. Why, God? Why would we struggle with infertility? Why, why would you not help us have kids? And then we have, Val becomes pregnant, then we lose a son. Why, God? Why? What helped me in my questioning, in my doubts, in my wrestling, right, was when I, I, I kept my eyes, I fixed myself on Jesus, who he is, and what he has done. And that enabled me to stand firm by his grace in the midst of some very difficult crisis of faith. What in your life is going on where you need to remind it of this great work that Jesus has done for you and that you are able to remain in? May you know that he gives you the grace to experience those hard, difficult times. We have seen that we've been reconciled because we were once alienated. We were reconciled by the means of Christ's work and for the purpose of presenting us holy. We have seen the proof of a reconciliation, remaining in the gospel, remaining in Christ. Now we come to this last part of this verse, to the response of a reconciliation, and that is to relate the gospel. It says, this is the gospel that you've heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, in which I, Paul, became a minister. Paul has given us a pattern of preaching and relating the gospel, and there are three elements. It was heard, it was proclaimed to the world, and the gospel of which Paul became a servant. First of it was heard. The Colossians heard the gospel, and they believed it. We hear the gospel, and we believe it. We receive it. It has reached forth into the entire world, unlike the hidden message of the heretics of that day. The gospel went out to many nations, and they heard and believed it. Now, Paul is not suggesting here that every single individual in the world at that time had heard the good news. He's rather making the point that the gospel had gone out from the Jewish nation to other nations, and where other racial and ethnic groups were being brought into a living relationship with Christ. It was heard. But it was also preached The gospel was preached. It was proclaimed in all creation. As the gospel was proclaimed, it made an impact, right? It bore fruit, and the created world for many many diverse people groups became Christians and thus reconciled to God, unlike the message of the heretics, again, who reached very few and brought further alienation to them. It was heard, it was preached, but also Paul became a servant of it. See, not only the gospel was heard and preached, which brought change to the world, but Paul himself became a servant of this gospel. Remember where Paul once was. Once, once was? I don't know if that's right. Where did Paul come from? He was the persecutor of Christians. He mocked and killed Christians. Now he is a servant, he says, of Jesus Christ. He was once alienated, but now reconciled. And as reconciled, he remained in the faith, and he eagerly, passionately told others about the glorious hope that he has been freely given, which declares people acceptable and makes them holy. Why? Paul realized where he came from. He was a wicked sinner. Yes, he still deals with sin, but he has been rescued and freed. So this message that the truth of Colossae needed to remember is a message of freedom, this message that Christ has reconciled us to himself through faith in this Jesus. And now we become a servant of it. Paul couldn't wait to declare the gospel. How about us? As we're in tune with the good, gracious, radical news of the gospel, 
that we have been given. We were once alienated, but now we're, now we're at peace. We were once evil, now we are considered righteous and holy in his sight. We who were once could care less about God, now has given us a purpose and meaning. All because of what Christ has done on the cross. Would we not want to share that with people who need to hear it? We're not called to keep it to ourselves. No, we've heard it. Now we need to proclaim it to the world in which we are a part of. Who are those people that God wants you to relate this beautiful, gracious message to in your life? We're heading to Thanksgiving. And we know different families have different things that go on when we get together with family and friends. How can the good news of the gospel help you to be encouraged in your own faith, to remain as you have difficult conversations and able to, by God's grace, share that beautiful message to someone who you may not, you may not think would ever want to hear it. May God give us the grace to remain and remember and relate this beautiful gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Jesus, for your reconciling work. <laughs> There's nothing in ourselves that would have, would have drawn us to, to you other than your work in us. Father, we're in Christ today because of your gracious work in our lives. And so, Father, we who have been alienated, help us to, to enjoy that good news. Help us to be encouraged by that good news. Help us to live out that good news in our lives, both in our families, in our friends, in our neighborhoods, in our work. Father, I pray for those who may not yet have put their faith in Christ. Help them to know that Jesus is really that, that gracious, really is that good that can bring them into an eternal, meaningful, significant, satisfying relationship because of the work of Christ. Oh, Lord, do your Holy Spirit, do your work of grace, maybe upon those who may not know you this day. Bring them the faith. Draw them to you, I pray. Lord, now bless our time now as we continue to worship you and be reminded that it is you and you alone, Christ, that we deserve, that deserves all praise and honor. Let us stand and sing in Christ alone. <laughs>